three-point range. Back with you for another holiday edition. This is Mike Berardino, joined as always by the scout, Kimball Crosley, and the professor, Tim Crothers. And the professor will lead us off. Well, happy holidays, guys. It's a pleasure to, to be in your virtual world with you. And uh, I'm going to connect the podcast to my real life a little bit, because I feel like that might be a fun thing for the listeners. I, I know um, Kimball might have a plan to do that a little bit as well with his, with his point today. And, and um, so I'm going to take us back to about a week ago in my journalism class at UNC. Um, I had, a, I had a, a, a student speak up about um, a, a previous class. In the middle of the semester, we had, uh, we had a moment where I felt like we needed uh, an athlete's voice uh, to join our class because it's about sports in the media and I felt like it would be helpful for, for my students to understand what, it, what it's like to be an athlete uh, in the sports in the media realm. And so I plucked a guy right out of our, our classroom. We happen to have a football player in the class. And so I asked him if he wouldn't mind trans, uh, transferring from being a student to being our guest speaker for a week. And so he, he agreed to do that. And we, uh, we Q&A'd him for about an hour. And over the course of that hour, he sort of, sort of began a little bit nervously, as you might expect, and then eventually sort of warmed up to the task. And we, got, we felt like we got to know him uh, more and more as the class went along. And so a week ago, we had our final class, and I asked each of my students to present a moment that they thought they would remember most from our time together during the semester. And one of my students uh, recalled that particular class where the football player had spoken, and she said that she had sat right next to this guy for, uh, for the first six weeks of class before he spoke, and she really knew nothing about him. Other than the fact that he was number five on UNC's football team, he played on the defensive line, and she enjoyed watching uh, the games, whether in person or on TV, uh, and seeing him out there. But that was that was the extent of her connection to him until he came to that class and spoke. And all of a sudden, because uh, during that class uh, he spoke about himself personally, including the fact that. Um, the reason he plays football is for his mom because he hopes to someday be able to make the NFL and take care of her. Um, that he lost his brother tragically not too long ago. That he uh, is a big fan of cat videos. And that he is a, not a big fan at all of social media, which was interesting to my group because obviously most, most college students are. Um, and so what she said was how interesting it was for the transition uh, that she made mentally to this gentleman who sat next to her in class, that the week before um, he spoke, she had watched him play in a game at Miami, and to him, to her, she was he was only just number five, just this guy out there who was you know trying to trying to sack the quarterback, and but nothing more than that. And that after that class, all of a sudden she saw him as Javari Ritzy, which is his name, and that here was that he was like a real person. A human being, not just the, this athletic robot running around, but this actual guy who loves his mom, who tragically lost his lost his brother, who loves cat videos, who hates Twitter. Uh, all of this stuff that we learned from him humanized him in a way that it made it much more fun for her to watch uh, watch him play because all of a sudden uh, he wasn't just this this robot who sat next to her, but actually uh, a real person. Which brings us to Leo Messi. Uh, I was watching the, uh, the semifinal between Argentina and Croatia the other day, and I realized in a, in a similar way that I have watched Leo Messi for his entire career, and I've only seen him really as number 10, this amazing, extraordinary player uh, for, for Argentina and, and for most of his career for Barcelona. Um, and you know, I admired him for for his amazing skill and the fact that he is he is one of the greatest players, if not the the greatest player ever to to play soccer. But um, but that was it. That's all I really really knew about him. And uh, and I thought about back to that class, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do a little digging because that's what we journalists do. And I want to learn a little bit more about Leo Messi. 
And so I started going back and reading some stories, and I actually watched like a 90-minute documentary on him. And, uh, and what I learned, and I'll keep this brief because I, I don't want to go crazy with it, but, but what I learned about Leo Messi was, was really fascinating. That he grew up uh, in, in a uh, city about three hours drive from Argentina in a poor family. And uh, they actually had these amazing videos in the documentary of him playing at like five, six years old against, uh, against other kids who were his age, but were twice his size. And he's dribbling in and around and through them and doing all this amazing stuff on this dirt field in Rosario, Argentina, where he grew up. And uh, the one thing that you kept noticing was just how much smaller he was than everybody else. And they eventually disclosed in the documentary, and I've also read in these other stories, about when he was 10 years old, he had a human, he had a, a, a hormone growth deficiency where there was concern that if they didn't, if it went untreated, he would never grow to, to a full, to be a full size adult. And so he had to get, he had to get, uh, shots to inject, uh, the hormone into him. And his dad only had about two years worth of, of insurance for him to do that. And so, you know, for two years, Messi injected himself with this growth hormone as a 10-year-old um, to try to, uh, to spur his growth. And finally, they came to a time where they couldn't afford the medicine anymore. And so the reason <laughs> that Leo Messi eventually ended up at Barcelona was because after trying to get several Argentinian clubs to sign him to a contract and pay for his medical treatment, uh, and they all refused. He eventually was able to talk Barcelona into signing him because they did see his video and they saw what his potential was and to pay for his treatment. And so he treated him, himself for several more years after that. And eventually, um, you know, as a 13, 14, 15 year old started to gain some momentum in Barca's junior teams. And by 17, he was already a young star. And the, the rest is kind of history. He played for Barcelona for almost 20 years, juniors and seniors, and grew into one of the greatest players in the world. Um, but he has never left the Rosario and Argentina connection behind. During that time, Spain tried to talk him into, as a young player, tried to talk him into playing for their national team, which you'd be playing for the Spanish World Cup, Cup team right now if, if they succeeded. But Argentina was, I mean, uh, Messi was always so connected to Argentina because of where he'd grown up. And and Rosario and his love for the for his city um, that he even though he was playing in Spain he wanted to play for Argentina he wanted to follow in the hero in the footsteps of his hero Maradona and even to this day his connection to Argentina is really tight I mean he still has a comp he has his own family compound in Rosario where he grew up and he has talked about the fact that as his career begins to uh, to wind down that he wouldn't mind finishing his career playing for the same club that he uh, that he first started out with as a boy uh, in Rosario, and maybe ultimately um, settling in Rosario. So I guess the bottom line is, as I you know, as I started to learn more and more about Messi, I thought to myself, you know, I'm going to watch the final on Sunday, and it's kind of going to kind of be a similar situation to what happened with my student and Jabari Ritzi, and that is that that uh, when I watched him play Croatia, he was just number 10 to me. But uh, after learning all of this stuff about him, and obviously it's a little different than actually meeting him as we did with Javari, but, but uh, just learning all of this background and what he's been through and uh, what a generally clean and, 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 uh, and exemplary life that Leo Messi has, has lived off the field, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be seeing Leo Messi, not as number 10, but as Leo Messi, as this human being who has gone through this, gone through these crazy, uh, you know, ups and downs in his career, um, and and ultimately, uh, everybody will be judging him uh, on whether he, you know, so much talk about what. Well, if he wins this game, he's going to be the goat, um, indisputably the goat. Honestly, I don't care about that. I think that argument is is kind of silly. You can't really compare him to even to Cristiano Ronaldo, much less somebody from another era like Pelé, but. Um, but I'm going to be watch, watching him, and if he wins, I'm happy for him, just because I feel like I, got, I, I know him a little better than I did before, 
and he's someone that I generally like. And if he wins wins the World Cup on Sunday, um, I'm going to appreciate him and his story a bit more just because I've learned who Leo Messi is. I don't know whether any of you, either one of you, knew any of that about about Messi or whether that changes your your thoughts about it in any way. But I'm curious about your thoughts. Well, you know, it's interesting. A couple things come to mind uh, because. You know, one of the points I was mulling around this week, uh, mulling over was I was going to talk about size doesn't matter or does it? And, you know, one of the things I've been talking to um, some soccer people, some football fans, at the, you know, the last couple of weeks about what I've been watching. Um, they're much more informed on the sport than I. They coach the sport and really are fans. And, and um, we were talking the other day about just like how amazing Messi is when you just can't knock him off the ball when he's dribbling. You know, it looks like every other guy, it's like, wait, the guy's right on him. Why is he not knocking the ball away? And Messi has this uncanny ability to just keep on going. And it doesn't look like there's any shoving or pushing. It just, they can't get to the ball. And I was like, mm -hmm. what does he like have wide hips? Like, you know, mm -hmm. and going back to when I was a journalist and I wrote this story on J.R. Reed's butt about how yes. was and, mm -hmm. and how much it helped him uh, post up. You know, these athletic freaks are are sometimes great because of that you know michael phelps and his extraordinary you know anatomy is part of why he's a great swimmer and we were talking about how his 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 uh lack of height helps him and one of the things i hadn't even thought about was they talked about like when you're a taller defender and you're trying to sort of like get a shoulder in and get on the other side of him and get you know like on that side of him and get the ball away you can't get your shoulder onto his shoulder because his shoulders are right, right <laughs> around your hip mm -hmm. and, and it's amazing like that it's like so it's 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 a great thing for him and um you know so i just think it's so interesting that that that's part of his greatness is and, it, and of course it's a low to the ground sport and there, there's great players that are good because they can head the ball in you know uh but his his great skill of being able to dribble and pass through people and and just the balance he has the low center of gravity you know, um, and they were even talking about like the signal from his brain gets to his feet faster because he's short. And I was like, I might call BS on that. <laughs> but they were like, no, no, it's true. I'm like, okay, whatever you say. Um, but so I, I thought I thought of that when you're, you know, doing your point. But the other thing I thought of, and this is kind of funny because it, it sort of blends into my point. So I was, of course, a journalism major at UNC, but I was also a theater major. And I went to grad school for acting. And at one point, I was teaching uh, beginning acting, and we had a lot of football players in there. And I remember, if you guys might remember this, uh, you know, one press conference, I wasn't at a lot of football press conferences, I co didn't cover the football team. But at one press conference, I was kind of like getting on our head coach then, Dick Crum, because he, he had this freshman cornerback that was getting roasted every weekend. <laughs> and, and it was just like, and he was just killing the team. And his name was Skeet Baldwin. I don't know if you remember oh, yes. Skeet. Yeah, and, I remember Skeet. And it was mm -hmm. just like, and he was sort of defending this guy and whatever. And it was like, I'm thinking like, Skeet doesn't have to play, does he? <laughs> like, isn't there another guy he could play? And, you know, and so now I'm I'm teaching this class. And who shows up in my class two, three, four years later is Skeet Baldwin. <laughs> and could not have been a sweeter young man. <laughs> he was such a great guy. And it was just like, oh man, I, I feel bad. Like if I ever, whether I wrote about him negatively or anything, you know, it's a real human being in a totally different light um, and, and seeing him in that way. And I also, Tim Goad was in the class who went on to play for the New England Patriots. And I remember him one time in the class and confessing that he loved the Smurfs. And then when I'd see him like go be a nose tackle in the NFL, one of the more violent, ugly positions there is, I could never get that in my head. Hey, he <laughs> loves the Smurfs. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Mike. Well, we had the Smurfs around that time in the NFL, didn't we? With the, <laughs> uh, the Washington football team, uh, uncoverable little wide receivers. Um, yeah, I, I think that you use what you got. And, uh, and I think on the last podcast, I pointed out how the, the Dutch team, in particular, the sweeper Van Dyke, was was uh, you know seemed like that would be something that could carry them, and it's fascinating. And and they they had that six eight goalie, and of course, the, I did watch pretty much all the Argentina uh, Netherlands match, which was seven what seventeen yellow cards and quite chippy, and and uh, was you know, everybody on Argentina is not Messi's size, but uh, 
the Dutch team probably is all airport. And so you use what you got. And uh, I'm thinking Muggsy Bogues. I'm thinking Spud Webb. Um, I'm thinking Teen Wolf uh, with Michael J. Fox. But uh, it's uh, uh I don't believe that whoever said that thing about the lower to the ground, uh, you know, shorter distance, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> the brain thing is ridiculous, but the other stuff is yeah, not. I, yeah, the other sure. Stuff, the low well, we, center of gravity, the ability to, the ability to change direction quicker than a taller player, quickness. the better balance. There's just no question that being, you know, um, having that lower center of gravity does help you in those situations. Yeah. You think of the, the slot receivers like Julian Edelman or, Wes Welker and and uh, yes, it just seems like they're playing a different game because there's less of them, and uh, there's less of the just the I don't know. They, they of course uh, the creativity um, uh, helps. I don't think it would matter if uh, if Messi didn't have that. that. But the other thing is, do you think as we watch him, you talk about and that was all I'm I, very interesting and and you know stuff that is not burned into my memory. I believe I watched something on there was a. 60 minutes profile, which usually becomes the de facto uh, word on, on what somebody is like in terms of personality that elicits great uh, lasting uh, sound bites. But even in that, he was, he was uh, more Kaiser Soze because I don't, nothing really stuck other than yes, uh, he was enabled. He was a, he was a, uh, you know, a late bloomer. He'd been overlooked. He would have that chip. And, uh, but he was not, uh, I don't think he really cares. Uh, if we know him that well, the other thing, mm-hmm. as, he's, as he's moving around, maybe that's part of his that very much might be part of his his greatness is that um, he does not care what the world thinks. Even this whole idea that he's got to check this one last box that would produce tremendous pressure and has for plenty of people who were still lacking that one. You know, Dan Marino, my guy, comes to mind, first of all, uh, but he, he seems to, to be uh, free of that. Does he have fun on the field? Does he have enough fun in a game? You know, we saw maybe Brazil, your team, Brazil, the beautiful game, maybe they had too much fun, too much dancing mm-hmm. that got out of control and became also a rallying point for the opponent. And Croatia was having none of it. But um, the, Argentinian, the Argentinian way or the Messi way in particular is dour. He's dour on the field, rarely smiles. And almost like, you know, it, people have, I think it's a lot of ink has been spilled. Is he playing through some sort of pain? Is he, he does walk a lot when the ball is in play more than normal. He's, he's gutting this thing out. So I'm, I'll be rooting for Messi uh, in Argentina against France. You know, France has two of these things just in the last uh, quarter century and would be looking for a repeat. And now you have to respect him and all that. But, it, you know, it, it, certainly Messi's been a great ambassador for the game and, and just in, with his play. Not with really making it look like fun, or uh, although he certainly knows how to celebrate after one of those penalty kicks. I love the moment. The one thing that will stick. Last thing I'll say, I do love the moment, the gamesmanship that goes on with a penalty kick, <laughs> and the, and that, and that last moment. You can see them talking to him. You can see it, but it wasn't just the Netherlands. I mean, he's he's ta- that he keeps being put there because he's their their their, their most dominant striker, and, and so. Uh, he has that last moment of focus and, you know, I, I'm sure he would never share with the world what he's thinking much like, you know, I mean, that, that is just, you talk about pressure oh, yeah. and, and, and that is the moment where he's, his most human is after he does succeed and he doesn't always, right. Cause he had one that missed in this, but, um, you know, he even got those scatter shot, uh, charts and everything that, to show exactly where he goes and, and, um, it's a cat and mouse and it's, and it's riveting and odds are he, he'll get another chance on, on Sunday. So uh, thanks for that, Tim. Uh, let's go to Kimball now for point number two. All right. So I'm going to tell you a little personal story, but I do believe there's a point or a few points to it. Um, as a lot of you know, I coach high school basketball. Um, my freshman boys team went undefeated last year and won their divisional state championship. That was a great year. I wrote about it a lot. But then this year, on the very first day of practice, uh, apparently the head coach of the uh, girls co-op team, because we're joined with our, our um, other school in Pawtucket, um, uh, you know, left and quit and they needed a coach. And so I got called in for an interview that day and um ended up getting hired you know, that night after I'd already coached my freshman boys basketball practice. And so for the first two weeks, I've been 
coaching the girls and doing a little double duty and coaching the boys, although we found another really good coach. He's he's taken over, so that's good. But so I've been doing that. And uh, as some of you know, I, I act as well um, when I'm not doing other things, going back to my acting background. And I've been fortunate enough to do some commercials and short films and things like that. Well, this past Monday, I had a really interesting day as sort of life imitated art. I um, was cast in this commercial up in Boston. It was a pretty good commercial for a tech company. Um, but like, and I had a game that night um, and it was going to be our third game of the season. And uh, it, as it happens a lot with these calls, you're called up early in the morning to go on set up in Boston. I live in Providence and I got up there and had this really fun shoot. It was probably one of the best of my career, you know, in that it really sort of highlighted some of my strengths. It was a fun role. It was a really good day. Um, you know, I played a out of touch boss in an office for a tech company who basically, um, you know, uh, blows things up as it were. And my very first line, which was, it's for, it's for an uh, online tech company and I, it's uh, going to be edited out, bleeped out, but is, was what the F is that? As I look at basically a dumpster fire representing our data um, block and how it's a mess. And uh, it is a fun little bit. And after we shot a few shots, they, they sort of liked a lot of what I had done. And they had me ad lib a lot of things with the other actor. And I was really having a great day and I was ad libbing certain things. And they ended up really loving this one last line where um, I would say at the end, I am so effing dumpster fired. And um, and uh, it was just a, a beautiful day on the set. They were so happy with me, but now I had to like fly down, to, you know, through Boston traffic, down through Providence traffic, down to Southern Rhode Island to our game and meet the team for our game. So I get down there and you should know that during basketball season, I'm already sleep deprived because I, I don't know if it's just our age or what, but I tend to wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. I can't get back to sleep with all these basketball thoughts going through my head. I'm fortunate enough that most days I get to take a nap, so I'm not a zombie. But on this day, of course, I had to be on the set early. There was no nap, and I had to do all this driving. So I get there, and I'm a little wired, tired. Now, to go to our basketball deal, all right, one of the challenges of I'm facing in replacing this coach is he was a very successful coach, very loved and they were a successful program. But he kind of left with no seniors on the team. And he kind of left when we were moving up from Division Three to Division Two. So there's a real challenge there. But I was really confident because we do have a lot of talented players, including this very good point guard, that we're still going to be competitive. Well, we played in the season opening tournament when we won our first game, and now we faced our parochial school rivals in our second game, and we lost a tight game you know, not being able to score against their zone defense because we couldn't hit a shot. We we didn't make a single three against their zone. And it was a close, tight game. I got a little frustrated, but overall I was happy. But still, it was my first loss as a coach in three years, <laughs> okay? And so it stung. And so uh, as, a, as a coach who's standing up, who's the head coach of the team, not just an assistant. And um, so I was okay though. The next day I went to practice and I was kind of excited because I saw how close we are. And by the way, we lost to a division one team and we're moving up from division three to division two. So I was like, I'm really encouraged. We have a great day. Now I come to Monday night's game. I'm like, let's get back on the winning track. And I'm feeling a lot of self-imposed pressure because of the obvious situation, replacing this guy and proving myself to these girls. And I'm coaching girls for the first time. Um, and I had put a lot of thought into coaching girls for the first time and the difference they're in. And a lot of my point is about that. It's like, you know, are there differences? And we talked about this some, I believe, with Anson Dorrance and learning from Anson about sometimes what he thinks are some differences in coaching, you know, um, males and females. And, you know, that was all in my head. And I've been observing that. And the first two weeks of the season, it's been not a problem. It's been a pure joy. You know, I don't know if I even yelled one time in these first two weeks. But now I get to this game Monday, okay, after playing this out-of-touch boss uh, <laughs> and saying the F word probably about 100 times oh. during the day between one take or another. And I get there, and I don't even recognize how wired and tired I am, but I am. And the game starts, and I think I think we should be able to beat this team. I, I look at them, and I think we're more athletic. Our pressure man defense should really handle them, but it doesn't go well. 
And right away, we're kind of lost and the girls are out of it. And two minutes in, I call a timeout and I'm trying to say like, all right, let's go. You know, this is not good. And it was a very tight game throughout. But bottom line is throughout the game, I got increasingly agitated and frustrated to the point that like I was pretty manic. Like I, 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 uh, you know, I can be a tough coach anyway. My mentor was from the Bobby Knight School of Coaching. And so I, I really believe in pushing and motivating and prodding and, 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 you know, motivating from sometimes a negative place. And I try to always fight that in my career and, and be more positive and more of a teacher. And I'd managed that pretty well over the first two weeks with these girls. But because of the situation, because it was our third game in four days, because I thought we were underachieving and not playing as hard as we could, I was really, really pushing way too hard. And what I found was my girls shut down. Instead of responding the way my boys would to some of my tactics, they shut down and sort of imploded and we ended up losing the game by about 11, you know, as we fell apart down the stretch. And I was like, I could see it so clearly afterwards, you know, like I had lost it. And it was obvious to my co-coach and my assistant coach and probably anyone in the gym to my girls that I was coaching that I just, I just had, had really gone down a bad road. And I'd even dropped a couple of F-bombs, which oh. is again, which is unusual for me, but it's funny because I've coached at different schools. Some schools, I've coached at schools where if I said the F-bomb, there'd be like a, a school-wide investigation. You know, school would be suspended for the day. There'd be sensitivity training. And I've coached at schools like the coach wise coach now where it's routine. Boys, coaches use it all the time. The boys use it all the time. Worse, I've heard athletic directors say it. Mm. You know, it's it's not uncommon. But you know what? Maybe it was different and it was different with these girls and it was certainly different in the tone and the situation. You know, I didn't say it to a girl. I just was like, you know, what the F are we doing and stuff like that. So bottom line is I'm like realizing later too late that I, I had screwed up. And, and um, the next day, like I get called in before practice to my AD's office. And all I'm thinking is, you know, I am so effing dumpster fired right now. <laughs> this dumpster fire. But luckily we talked it out. You know, they realized all these situations, you know, they, 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 get you know that it's a transition for me you know they they also could see the positives of the first two weeks and all these things and the, looking at it back at it a couple of days later it's so obvious to me you know where i went wrong and and also like like how to make the mental shift you know i was watching the jv game before the varsity game as i often do it's it's my program and that's not my attitude in the JV game. It's all about like, oh, they'll learn, they'll get better. And that's been my attitude for two weeks. But because of all the reasons, you know, I talked about for this game, I was just trying to force that square peg into the round hole. And so hopefully uh, I will do better. I've, I had an apology written to the girls even before I spoke to the ADs and before any of this went down. And, and I, I think they're going to accept me and, and I'll relearn their trust. But I've really learned a lot about, you know, being patient, being a teacher, not letting these outside factors get at you. And I, I hope after 30 years of coaching, I've learned a very valuable lesson that will stick with me and I'll be a better coach, whether I coach boys or girls or whoever going forward. So I'm sure you guys can relate to a lot of that. Um, I just wanted to say that because I think it, it does have a lot of context and points to it. What do you guys think? I don't know about you, Mike, but that sounded less like a point and more like a confession. <laughs> I feel like you you stepped into the stepped into the box and I opened the slot and you you shared <laughs> you you got it you got your sins off of your chest <laughs> and I I guess I I guess we should absolve you I don't I don't know I mean until you're until you've proven yeah until you've proven that you've you've you're truly uh, you know reformed I don't know that we can fully absolve you what what are your questions Mike. Well, I would start with, um, was there anything in that uh, heartfelt apology here at Three Point Range that would come as a surprise to your bosses at the school? I mean, it was, did you, uh, for instance, did they know uh, just what a busy day it was that you took them through all, everything you said here was no, also no, shared with them? I mean, them they don't really know that I was on they, Well, I think they acting. do. Oh, I think no, they do. No, I think they, knew the that, they knew I were moonlighting. No, your, prior, no. your priorities were out of whack that day. You think every coach that moonlights, baby, we're not. You know, I think that when you coaches. walked into that gym, you you were unable to at this time, knowing full well <laughs> all about multitasking and 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 being a bit excitable. 
uh, and having coached boys and girls and kids who were not my own, et cetera, you know, being asked to, to wear different hats. Perhaps you just left your uh, coach of girls basketball hat in the car because you were in such a hurry to get there. And you're only in such a hurry because you just tried to do too much that day. And well, um, it was more method acting. I played an out of touch boss who screwed up at work. And now yeah. I became an out of touch coach that mm -hmm. screwed up at coaching. Yeah. Talk, yeah you, you know, you mean, don't uh, put yourself in that situation again. I'm glad you survived that, <laughs> uh, that uh, threat to your, to your, to your new uh, process there. And it sounds like it's going well. And, and perhaps even uh, this would be something you, you and the girls will grow from, but uh uh, I'm just appalled that uh, it, that school, uh, all the uh, athletic types are just flinging the f bomb around. Hey, uh, it was be real. It's teams. an inner city school. It's one of the toughest schools, you know. Well, going. be better. And... Be better. <laughs> be better. <laughs> I did. I'll just this. The one thing since we tie it in here, you know, I, I I've confessed, or uh, you know, I, I've mentioned earlier on these shows that uh, uh, all time. Because I've calculated it, my all-time winning percentage across <clears throat> all sports as a coach, youth's coaches, is, is three thirty-three, and uh, we did have one championship in there. But there was the, as the kids got older, never coached kids at, at the age that you guys have, I guess, or teen or uh, high school seniors up through thirteen or fourteen. Uh, that's when they, yeah, they they'll say anything. They think they're young adults, et cetera. But I did try the John Wooden thing one time, uh, where I just told them, and I. And, you know, at the start of a baseball team, age 13 and 14 in a rec league, um, you know, uh, in a well-to-do area, I'd say, uh, kids who aren't used to being told uh, no or being disciplined, probably spoiled brats. I said, we're not, we're just not going to use profanity. I'm not going to use it. You may hear it. The other coaches, the other players, maybe you do it at home. That's fine. Our team, and when we come here to this field, practice games, whatever, no profanity. Use profanity. You're coming out of the game, and uh, and I did that. I had to pull a kid off the field. That team uh, really did quit on me, shut down on me, no doubt. <laughs> it was a miserable experience. Uh, even the league president would would come and and you know as a small group of players, but the, she would come up uh, around the games and drop f bombs talking to parents. So it was just it was a it was a bad experience. And I, but I tried and 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 I. Uh, and I'm and I'm glad about that because um, when you uh, and I would encourage you, Kimball, maybe if if you think it's important to set oh, your is. team apart, set your team apart, and 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 be known for something that's out of step with whatever the the, the zeitgeist is. Uh, well, go ahead and do that. Don't be afraid to be unpopular and uh, and, and you know weird uh, if you feel that it's important because some values are timeless. We need more timeless values, and one of them is conduct yourself with class um especially around kids and there you have to edit yourself that's all you just left your self-edit um you know uh, on a frazzled day and and uh, don't give in don't give in fight the good fight i'm not saying that i don't i mean my goodness i've used every bit of profanity but there are there, there's a time and a place and when you step into that role model experience that uh where you know you have to yeah, you're asking whatever you're asking them to do. You want to reflect those as well, and and showing poise and and uh, you know being unselfish and all this. So whatever you're emphasizing there, I know it's all good. Uh, that way more lessons, far more the lessons are far more important than winning or losing. And that's coming from a guy with a three thirty three winning percentage. <laughs> uh, I want to hear Tim's thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I we talked about since you brought up Anson Dorrance. Obviously, he's coaching at a different level, and I do think that that is an important distinction to make here, that he's coaching college kids as opposed to um, high school kids. But uh, he would make the point, and he did so. If you, if you count the uh, amount of curse words in the Anson Dorrance biography, uh, you would get to 60. And all of those are embedded in speeches that he gave, either pregame, halftime, or otherwise. Uh, during during his career that I was around him on a regular basis. And the reason that he does that is uh, because he feels like having a curse, in, in, injecting curse words into these speeches that he gives to the girls uh, get grabs their attention uh, in a way that the speeches without them would just simply not, not do. And I, there's no question in my mind, having been in the room with him, and seen the reaction of, of the girls to these speeches, 
that if you eliminated the curse words from those speeches, they would not have the same impact. No doubt, no doubt in my mind, which is why I argued uh, very strongly to leave those curse words in the book, because if you take those curse words out, the speeches seem so bland and banal that you just think, oh my gosh, there's no way he really said that. And so we left them all in. And the truth is, yeah, I think at, at that level, uh, he would argue that they're, that it's necessary. Um, whether or not we all believe that or not, uh, you know, you can choose for yourself. But uh, I, do, I did see the impact, I, without a doubt. Um, then the question becomes, is it different when you're coaching, you know, an elite women's college team versus, uh, you know, a, a high school team as you are. So, um, you know, I, I, it seems, it seems, it seems odd to me out of character for you. I'm quite sure in my thousand rec games that I coached, I never, I never cursed and, um, and it would just seem weird for me to even have gone anywhere near there. Um, but we all have our moments. All right. Well, we're two thirds of the way through our three point range moment. Um, you're uh, listening to us through uh, anchor.fm. That's where we originate. And we have Spotify, uh, Amazon, uh, Google Podcasts, et cetera, and all your uh, podcast outlets that, uh, that you like to find your favorite podcast. Mm -hmm. We appreciate you finding us here. Um, we also have a, a sub stack, as Kimball mentioned, and a Facebook page that we encourage you to like and visit and uh, share. So we thank you for that. As we uh, get to our third point here, I just want to use this opportunity, gentlemen, to uh, thank you for these uh, past two years here at uh, Three Point Range. I believe we recently celebrated our second anniversary, started this late in 2020. Um, I have uh, grown so much through these uh, uh, occasional gatherings and with interactions with our listeners. Uh, we appreciate everything that they've brought to the to the table and and the way that they have uh, challenged me and made me grow uh, i would uh, not uh, change anything about these last two years um, as uh, challenging as they may have been at times with that being said i'm going to use this opportunity to uh, enter the transfer portal and i would like uh, all podcasts out there to know that uh, i have two years of podcast eligibility remaining and uh that uh, I am available for home visits and uh, willing to uh, enter into any NIL discussion that you would like to have. Um, and that is, uh, that's what I have to say today. What's that? I, I'm not allowed to enter the transfer portal? Well, that's, that's the whole point. Uh, perhaps uh, you've noticed, uh, if you follow college sports at all, in particular college football, which is my main job these days, um, the, or something called the Portal Cup Standings, that uh, a journalist out of uh, Connecticut, I believe, named Mike Farrell, updates on his uh, Twitter. And uh, it's since December 5th, we're just about a week and a half into this uh, winter portal window, and college football players alone, just at the uh, FBS level, uh, just in the Power Five, uh, have been uh, entering the portal, considering their options, becoming essentially free agents with, uh, with no year to sit out at a record rate. I believe the number is well into the uh, four figures and low four figures. And the leader currently of the Portal Cup standings is Texas A&M football with 22 entries. That's going back to August 1st. When uh, that's when he, he lined a demarcation, but it really accelerated here in the last 10 days. Florida is second. 18 players at Florida on scholarship are willing to give up that scholarship just for the chance to look around, which is their right. That's how it, that's how it's set up. Arizona and Arkansas and Ole Miss and Miami and Oregon, all with 17 each as they chase that portal cup, and 16 Stanford football players. Imagine that a full scholarship to Stanford. Uh, 
and I know David Shaw has uh, has left, and there's a new coach in that's unproven. But that often will happen when there's coaching change. Coaches move, and players in the past were always left to wonder where they stood. Well, at Stanford, 16 players uh, are willing to uh, give that up just to see what else is out there. So um, I guess that I can't enter the portal, but my uh, my point being, it's astounding to me, and perhaps the revelation is, how many, now that we can have this process of uh, players uh, putting it out there, that they're what they're willing to give up just for the possibilities, and not everyone lands with a better possibility. The grass is not always greener. Um, it just makes you wonder how miserable college, the life of a college football player must be and has been this whole time because we never knew. We never knew just how willing so many were willing to give this up. Maybe that was a question that Tim's uh, journalism class could have asked. Maybe that was a question that Kimball should have been asking. Uh, what, what was the defensive back's name? That, uh, Skeet, Skeet Baldwin. Baldwin would have been good. How miserable were these fellas all these years? But um, it's, uh, and then I'll just say that um, there's a player, and, it, and there's so many examples. We're talking about more than 1,000, maybe 1,200. Um, and they're all sorting it out right now. They're taking visits. Uh, there's a player named Braden Fisk, who I thought really spoke well to this. Um, and I just, he's a defensive tackle from Western Michigan. And no one had really heard much about him, but he put his name in the portal. The NFL scouts knew about him. And suddenly, he is confident enough that this will all work out, that Notre Dame offered him. His kid from Michigan City, Indiana, Notre Dame offered him an athletic scholarship uh, on the very first day. And he's considering his options. USC is coming for an in-home visit and Oklahoma and Rutgers. This is a guy that coming out of high school had one offer, Western Michigan, and now proved himself 45 games at the uh, uh, MAC level in uh College football, a solid level, but not the uh, Power Five level. And he'll be on a plane soon to Florida State to check out uh, what the Knowles have to offer. And he said uh, that basically his, he told 247 Sports that his mind has been spinning, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, basically playing time is going to be one of the things at the top of his level. Uh, here's what he said. It's been unbelievable, more than I could have ever imagined, with phone calls, schools searching me out to see what I'm up to. If I can describe it in one word, it's been chaos. It's a relentless game these coaches play, but I can't knock them for it. It's their job. I'm just trying to knock out each call and school the best I can. So he's vetting all these options. Of course, it's final exam time as well for these guys, and uh, midterm exams. Final exam for the for the fall semester, and the professor certainly knows what that's like for his his group. Um, I'm just astounded. Uh, I knew that freedom is good. I like I like that. Certainly, what applied to these millionaire coaches being applied then to the uh, players under their control, in theory, always sounded good. But uh, the, the, taking away that the idea of uh, sitting out a year, the ability now to have immediate eligibility you don't need permission from the school okay but i was just i'm just stunned it's a, quite a revelation that 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 many people that many players who seem to have the world by the tail are willing to toss it all away on the possibility that they'll be happier or more marketable to the pros somewhere else kimball did you ever consider <laughs> entering the transfer portal and leaving carolina I did. I transferred out of it. I I I went to theater uh, a theater school for the uh, second semester of my sophomore year. I oh. went to the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center for some conservatory training. It wasn't really transferring out. It was just I got credit for it, but I went to like a conservatory, you know, a little bit, and it was uh it was the best thing I ever did. Came back to North Carolina with uh, a lot of confidence and uh, and uh, just better off in a lot of ways and. It worked out, but I know that's not really the thing. You here. knew your spot was waiting for you when you came yes. back. Well, I mean, that's what my question to you would be, Mike, is is are these guys not doing it that know that they've got 
you know, something out there. I mean, I don't think they're just doing it blind. I mean, maybe some of them are just like, well, you know, I, maybe I'm about to get, uh, you know, I'm not going to get playing time. And I'm not heading nowhere fast here anyway. So a so, lot of, there's a lot of moving parts to this. There's, I mean, you, you might think that a certain school is waiting for you with a promise of a certain amount of, uh, of NIL dollars, which is not supposed to be part of this or a certain amount of playing time or a role, but uh, I think it's a constant uh, one-upmanship out there. The idea of flipping goes on uh, more than ever, uh, just because uh, you publicly have committed to a school, even as a transfer. Notre Dame flipped a guy who was all set to go to Minnesota. Imagine this. Imagine trading Harvard, one more year at Harvard. Of course, that's not an athletic scholarship, but they had they work it out. For And he was a player from the, the Detroit area. Um, and he gave that up. He was going to go to Minnesota to try to improve his, his value. And then before he ever enrolled at Minnesota as a, as a promising defensive lineman, Notre Dame swooped in and then he ended up there. But the second that you put your name in this portal, your current school has, is absolved of all responsibility to you. I mean, it, they, they can take you back if it, if you think it's mutually beneficial, but you're, you're risking, there is risk in this. And it's amazing to me. Just how many, I, I know what you're saying, but if, if what you're suggesting is, and what you intuitively would think, well, who's going to throw away the world, you know, on the possibility of a little bit better world, um, then well, all, these yeah, things would sort, all these things would sort themselves out within a day or two, right? But there's plenty of guys who enter the portal and it's crickets. It's crickets. And I don't think we put enough attention on the idea of what happens when your freedom, <laughs> uh, you know. Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. Some of these guys um, are losing something uh, sometimes right down to the, um, to the, to the, to the direct, most direct path to a college degree. Um, all in the, in the idea that maybe somebody back home is telling them, no, you're better than that. You deserve, you should be playing more. You do have pro potential. And, uh, and I just think it's a concern. I think this process still needs to be st streamlined and vetted and made uh, more, more education as usual is the, is the answer, uh, more, um, more understanding before you ever put your name in there, what you're putting on the line. Well, perhaps, I mean, people should have the freedom to do what they want. And perhaps this is a coincidence. I don't know, but I just got a text from Tim Crothers and he said he, um, is in a transfer portal for, um, podcasts and he's thinking about joining a podcast called, um, getting to know you. And it's all about getting to know famous athletes personally, instead of just talking about them and 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 opinionating on on podcasts. And um, I guess Mike, you and I have to decide um, at the end of this podcast if he chooses not to go there. Are we going to take him back on three point range? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We need to see who else is available out there. You know, we we've had uh, some uh, various some distinguished guess we don't want to put all the names out there we have had john walters on people know that but how many people have approached us about jumping in here so it's a you know it's a loyalty it's a what have you done for me lately business it's a how many how many clicks how many listeners did you get last podcast business so we really we have to consider our options i really i'd hate to say that uh that's a hypothetical <laughs> well let's let's get on that right now um you know i I, I wish that, you know, one of the things we try to do here is to offer up, uh, you know, solutions to these problems. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I guess, uh, you know, one, I, I don't have the solution at the moment. I will say that um, having this transfer portal period uh, be so compressed right around the time of the early signing date for the high school player, uh, it just complicates things even more because it's not like uh, a two or three year player is such a proven commodity. And certainly there's like 80 plus quarterbacks out there. Uh, many of them are, uh, were very well regarded at some point or currently considered instant plug and play Caleb Williams light type um, impact players. Well, you're sounding a lot like one of these coaches from a powerhouse who's like speaking against it. Cause he's like, doesn't want well, I'm just his players to leave or, he wants more control, just like a lot of college football well, coaches. Well, I'll talent. put it to you this way: I mean, it, it, the idea of yes, um, it, I guess it's 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 become uh, it's it's everything that sounds good in theory and might be good for many 
uh, there's a flip side to everything, and, and I do think there's going to be some cautionary tales, and, and it's our job to bring those out. I'll just be interested to see how it all works out for young Braden Fisk from Western Michigan. And, you know, he the clock's ticking. I mean, he's he is, he's these offers uh, don't obviously have an expiration date any further beyond what the market from other players, and players continue to enter, enter the portal daily. You can't predict that. Um Will it work out for him? Because Notre Dame wanted to have him, and he's about 10 days into this, and uh, actually coming up on nearly two weeks for him because he was a graduate transfer, and they, they were able to offer that in advance of the window. So uh, well, Florida, State, I gotta admit, Florida State is next. I'm more concerned about the future of one Tim Crothers than Mr. Fisk. So Yeah. Well, uh, we all have to consider what's best for ourselves and our families, I guess, and, and uh, loyalty is out the window and of course uh that's a that's concerning that's uh that's a bit uh saddening to me but um yeah i don't know i just thought i'd bring that out and, and now since we have talked long enough about it i i have not heard from any other podcasts in this last uh, 10 minute period so i'm withdrawing i just want to know this i'm withdrawing my name from the transfer portal for podcasts and i i i hope you'll take me back oh so you're going to stick with us too I, Wow. I am. I'm withdrawing my name so from now the portal. Oh, good. Yes, I, okay, so I, uh, I, I received one guy here. I received zero interest. You know, in the you can portal. tell from my tone of voice that I really never thought you were going to leave. <laughs> Where else? And I, and I hope we can move Where past this. You? you guys won't bring this up in the future that I had entered the portal for an entire point, <laughs> as such as it were. Uh, you won't bring that up that I was disloyal or you won't take offense to that, right? It's just not going to hurt our chemistry. Well, Tim did it too, so yeah. I mean, it's not it's not yeah. gonna matter that much. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to process, and and uh, I'm gonna need at least a week to to get over this. But I hope when we reconvene again, um, it'll be uh, it'll be just like it was. Same right, yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's our podcast this time uh, for this uh, holiday edition. I think we might come back uh, one more time here before. Uh, uh, Santa arrives, but we'll see. We'll see what uh, what comes. Uh, we thank you for finding us again here at Three Point Range for Kimball Crosley and Tim Crothers. This has been Mike Berardino. Happy holidays. <laughs>